The New Testament reading is taken from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good afternoon. It's an honor to be here. So big thanks uh, to Nathan last week who gave us a great education and exhortation on the church universal, that is Christ church throughout the world. Nathan effectively uh, brought for our consideration uh, the unity we enjoy with believers across history and across lines of tradition. And if you were here last night, you heard Pastor John teach about the life together and the story of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It really seems, to me at least, that the Lord has brought all this together to really make this month a month of teaching on the church body. And so for today, we'll briefly consider the grace delivered to each of us individually that equips us for ser service excuse me, within our local body. And there's so much here, and I couldn't possibly exhaust everything all at once. But I'll try to touch on most of it while focusing on a few things. So go with me to the Father in prayer now, through Jesus, and with the help of the, his Holy Spirit. Great God of the universe and our Heavenly Father, we call you Father, believing that you call us your children by adoption through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we learn this day how to best serve your family. And may your Spirit reveal to us all our talents and gifts that we may glorify you in service to your children, those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. In his name, amen. So you can keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 4. We're going to start right away in uh, verse 7. Paul says to the church, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And by this, I think he means that each believer commonly enjoys the grace of salvation and also that Christ has given each of us a particular gift of grace. Paul mentions his own gift in the previous chapter of Ephesians in verse 8. 
that this grace was given to him to preach the gospel. Paul was an apostle and he was a teacher. We know that he had the gift of tongues. He could preach the gospel to those who spoke a di di different tongue. And I would also venture that perhaps Paul had a certain gift of mediation and conflict re resolution. And as talented as Paul was, he's careful to attribute all of these abilities to his Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans 12 that God assigned a measure of faith to each, and that within the body there are many people, and we do not all have the same function. He says in Romans 12, 6, that we have different gifts and that we should use them. No Christian has been left out. Everybody is included. And you may know now how you fit. And you may not know what your gifts are or how best to serve, especially in the infancy of our church, Christ Church. But as the Lord is building this house, be confident in the grace of God towards you. You have been given grace, and he will use you. So back to our text in verse 8, Paul quotes a psalm. He quotes Psalm 68, verse 18. When he, the Lord, ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Well, the scholars are still discussing the minutia of Paul's quote here, and I'm certainly not going to challenge any of them, but I think that we should simply be reminded that it is through the Lord we receive this grace. You see, after quoting the psalm in verses 9 and 10, Paul draws a parallel between the psalm, which is singing a song of Israel's de deliverance, to Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And that by his power, we also are de delivered. We are unified, excuse me, and by his power do we receive the measure of grace that enables us to serve the body. Moving on to verse 11, we find what I think is some of the uh, nitty-gritty of, of uh, what he has to say. You can read it here. Um, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work for building up the body of Christ. Something struck me when I read this, and I want you to see this, that Paul gives us a list of authorities given to the church by Jesus. But we shouldn't be confused believing that this list of apostles and teachers are those who do the work only. That they are the only ones who do the work. Because the work of the apostles, the teachers, the prophets, that is, his work is to equip the saints. His job is to equip you, and to equip you, and you and me, for this task. And this is not a delegation of his responsibilities. Pastors do not, they do not do that, they equip, they are equippers. And he is called to equip us for those tasks that we do for one another. So how are we equipped? How is he doing this? The charge to these um, le le leaders within the church was and is to proclaim the gospel to us, to teach and train us in the way of Jesus Christ, his life and his death. And this means that we should expect to receive a fair amount 
of theology, of learning the truth of God. You should know that my prayer each Thursday night in our young people's Bible study is that the truth of God would be revealed to us, taught by his word, and that it would not stay lodged in our brains only. My prayer is that what we know would sink into our hearts and change the way we live. So we are equipped by gospel theology preached to us by those God himself has called. It would be totally um, unacceptable to me, in my opinion, that I should be tasked with preaching on the gifts given to the church for the building up of the church without mentioning Corinthians. Um, in Corinthians, we can find a couple of lists of various gifts. Uh, for our purposes, I'm using chapter 12, starting in verse 27, where Paul says, Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, healing, helping, administrations, and diverse kinds of tongues. Divers is an old word, but I like it. And he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, do all teach, do all, do all possess these various gifts, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? And Paul's questions at the end here are rhetorical. You might read it this way. Not all are apostles, not all teach, not all speak with tongues, not all are called to office, the church office perhaps. <laughs> Are they? And I find a certain amount of relief because while we're all clearly called to something, maybe even two or three things, none of us are called to do everything because that would be a church of one person. And we heard clearly last night that we're not called to isolationism, serving only ourselves, but we're called to community and to family. The gift of helps is not helping yourself, but helping your brother, helping helping those around you, helping your pastor. In Romans 12, Paul lays this out explicitly from verse 4. He says, for, in one, for as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if pro prophecy in proportion to our faith, if we serve in the way that we serve, the one who teaches in his te teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, to the one who contributes in ge ge generosity, the one who leads with zeal. He all, you know, Paul, when he makes these lists, he always starts with the gifts that are given to equip, apostle, or prophet, teacher, and he filters down. He filters down to gifts given to the larger body, giver, helper, servant. The servant does not hold a lofty office by the world's esteem. And yet in the economy of Christ, it is very lofty indeed. For God has always been pleased to confound the wisdom of this world by using what is low. So for the servant, truly the last shall be first in the kingdom of God.
No one is without value in the church of Christ, and all are called to serve in some capacity, and all we need. So we are equipped by gospel theology, these facts in our mind that cause our affections to surge, and we're given gifts by the Holy Spirit that are used by the Lord to build his kingdom, and we are called to serve one another in love. Well, you might ask, how long are we supposed to do this? How long are we called to continue to serve each other, and to what end? Well, Paul says in verse 13, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I think that this verse contains a bit of that classic uh, tension of the now and the not yet, that equipped for gospel uh, service to each other, we build each other up until we attain the unity of the faith and, and, and all that we know about the Son of God. And clearly Paul has in, in mind uh, both the now, that we be unified together in faith here on earth within our church, and the not yet, that we are looking forward to that day of true unity when we experience the fullness of Christ in glory. And there is a lot here. And certainly, I could possibly preach on, on each point in this list. Unity of faith. What we know of the Son, son of God. Mature, ma, ma, maturity. And what is my favorite in the list, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is big stuff. And while there is clear direction and application for our earthly experience, each of these goals, I believe, is also a promise. And so we should just think of the uh, unity that we will enjoy with the saints from all ages, that innumerable tribe of God's people gathered around his throne. And imagine the ever-perfecting knowledge of our sa Savior. Imagine with me and realize that we will once and for all put off our childish ways. And on that day, when we finally and most perfectly measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. But not yet. We're in the now. Our prescription for completing this race is first to be equipped by those who are called to be pastors, teachers, and then with the soaring affections for our sa Savior and one another, we do the work of godly, lowly, humble service to one another. In the now, Paul assures us that this lowly work protects us. It builds us up, and it creates a unified body of believers who are just bent for God's glory. And all this equipping and all this work we do, Paul says, is so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of do doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness, deceitful schemes. I'm also confident that I could possibly preach a much more uh, depressing sermon uh, on each of these points. Craftiness, and deceitful schemes, and these uh, warnings are in stark contrast to the list mentioned previously. Before we had maturity, and here we have childishness. Before we had knowledge of God, and here we have bad do doctrine. Before we had unity in the body, and here we have a warning against schemers and liars. 
True unity of the faith through the true gospel clearly preached is our best defense against the imposter gospel, the false gospel. And there are those we know who in the name of Jesus Christ preach a gospel that is not the true gospel. And the best of them are merely ignorant. Likely they themselves were and are being tossed to and fro by every idea that comes before them. And the worst of them are wolves, maliciously intent on causing harm to others so that they might gain something for themselves. But true gospel service to each other will protect us from them. True gospel service to each other will also protect us from ourselves. We ourselves are constantly at risk of self-deception, of pride, and of making God something of our own imagination. So what are we to do? Well, Paul says in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. And frankly, I think it's possible that most of us are prone to one of two errors. And the first is that we speak the truth with no love. We don't win anybody and we make no friends. And all our speech and especially our rebukes must be seasoned with love. And I'll venture that if there is somebody here who needs to hear the truth, but you don't love them as your family in Christ, you should learn to love them first. Earlier I mentioned uh, from 1 Corinthians a list of gifts to the church. And Paul continues there with some of the most well-known scripture in the entire Bible. Nathan quoted it last week. And it's true that as a wedding photographer, I hear it about 25 times a year. Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't tire of it. But I love Paul's transition between the rhetorical questions about who has all the gifts and his poetic description of Christ-like love. He says, and I paraphrase, I will show you a more excellent way. You see, if I exercise all these gifts, but I don't speak with love, I haven't said a thing. It was all worthless. If I have all the faith, but zero love, I am nothing. So we speak the truth, but it is seasoned with love. Seasoning makes something palatable. Seasoning makes it not just edible, but enjoyable even. And we've all eaten a dish in which we possibly forgot the salt. Or perhaps we, as a guest somewhere, ate something or somebody else maybe kind of forgot a major ingredient. And you know, you know what that's like. You're taking it in, but you don't like it. It's not yummy in the tummy. We must be seasoned with love. Truth without love is not reproof or instruction, and it is not edible. Alternatively, we may be all love and no truth, but in reality, that's not love at all. That's actually just false gospel. And we want no part of that. So we speak the truth to each other, even if it's hard, because our love for each other compels us to stick to the truth. So speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. This is our recipe for spiritual growth. We are taught, we serve, we love, and we speak the truth. We grow into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. We are not Christians in isolation, and we are not giving gifts that we serve ourselves. For when 
each part of the body of Christ is working, serving, helping, and teaching properly. It makes the whole body of Christ grow, so it builds itself up in love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.